there, it's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, July 2nd, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And as you probably know, this is typically the slow time of the year for this sport. NBA free agency dominates the headlines, but UConn's been in the news lately, first because it is rejoining the Big East, and then earlier today, because it was punished by the NCAA for rules violations committed under former head coach Kevin Ollie. So uh, let's start with today's news. Here's basically what you need to know. Kevin Ollie got a three-year show cause penalty for a failure to monitor, failure to promote an atmosphere for compliance, and for uh, being misleading with NCAA investigators. Meantime, UConn will vacate a couple of bad seasons, get two years probation, lose a scholarship for this season, endure some other minor recruiting restrictions. But that's that's basically it. Best I can tell, it's a big win for UConn for two reasons. One, because these punishments will not impact the program going forward in any meaningful way, or at least they shouldn't. And secondly, because Kevin Ollie is now, I think, going to have a hard time arguing in court that he should not have been fired for calls, which means he'll likely have a hard time collecting the remaining, I believe, $10 million on his contract. So from my perspective, this in a weird way, the day that you're actually punished by the NCAA looks like a great day for UConn. They might have just essentially won $10 million. Norlander, what say you? Yeah, I talked with a UConn source uh, less than an hour ago, and that that notion was certainly touched upon. Um, the fact that the NCAA, by punishing UConn, is actually doing UConn a favor, and this is the outcome that uh, the university uh, in some ways would have preferred because the the school needs money and it does not want to have to pay Kevin Ollie uh, $10 million or $5 million or $1 million. Um, so that is it is going to be hard for Ollie to get his money. Maybe some sort of settlement is eventually made for some amount of money. I think that's still a possibility. A key distinction to make here is that the NCAA ruled that Kevin Ollie um, was overseeing level three violations here. And then when he chose to mislead and lie to NCAA investigators and not opt in on a second interview, um, that is what triggered a level one infraction on his behalf and led to his show cause. The stuff that UConn was caught doing under Kevin Ollie's watch would not uh, lead to any sort of significant violations, but it's the fact that Ollie uh, misled and the NCAA through its 20-month investigation process was able to prove um, that he was not completely forthcoming. And then clearly they had more questions. Ollie opted out of that. And so going forward, if Ollie wants to get his money, um, however much he can or thinks he hopes he can, it might be zero. Uh, but the level, the, the show cause will not be the reason he doesn't get it. He got the show cause because of stuff that he did uh, in part uh, near the end or after his tenure had, had finished at UConn. Um, and as a quick aside, I tweeted this out. I, I Speaking to a few people who have been around Kevin Ollie, knew Kevin Ollie. I don't think he wants to coach in college anymore. So the show cause doesn't. It's to me, it's a. It doesn't matter. He's not looking to coach in college anyway. Um, but how it might impact him getting any kind of money is, uh, is is pretty interesting overall. As for the violations, you hit on it. I mean. I wrote the story, the headlines up at CBSSports.com. If you wanted to get into the particulars, if UConn fans are listening, I know you already are well aware of them. There is some annoyances in here for Dan Hurley and his staff. Just, you know, some recruiting stuff that you'd love to have in the moment and you don't get it. You get, you lose out on some official visits, some communication stuff. Some what was already self-imposed, some that's going to be for the season ahead. But big picture, you're going to the Big East. I don't think losing that kind of stuff is going to be the difference between you getting potentially a top 70 high prospect and not. And then one... Uh, 
one piece of clerical work here. Because UConn self-imposed these violations, there was a clause in Hurley's contract. Um, he gets another year, Parrish, so he will be he is there uh, contractually through 2024-2025. He exercised that, uh, that extra year, so just a matter of this becoming official today uh, puts that in place, and obviously that's, uh, that's a good thing for Hurley and ideally a good thing for UConn. But, yeah, it's a weird situation where you have NCAA stuff coming down, but the fan base was – if not rooting for it, they're they're generally okay with it. You normally don't see this kind of thing happen. No, it is weird. Um, and, and as far as Dan's contract, as you know, it's a it's similar to a Chris Max contract at Louisville. He took the job understanding that more um, NCAA sanctions could be on the way, and there was an automatic rollover in the contract or something that equates to that. Um, if this day ever came. So Chris has got that at Louisville. Dan had it at UConn. And uh, unsurprising that it will now uh, come into to play. I, I do think it's important to note that though UConn is going to argue and has argued that it can fire Kevin Ali for cause based on, I guess we can now say fact, that he was running a program outside of the NCAA rulebook, the truth is, and I hope most UConn, UConn fans can can acknowledge this, um, Kevin Ollie didn't get fired for this stuff. Kevin Ollie got fired because he went 16 and 17 in 2017 and 14 and 18 in 2018. He went 30 and 35 in his final two years at UConn, 16 and 20 in the American Athletic Conference in his final two years at UConn. That is why... Kevin Ali was fired. Now, I, I think fortunately for UConn, because this other stuff exists, they can point to it and try to fire him for calls and not have to pay him the remaining uh, roughly $10 million on his contract. But the, the truth is, the, what is alleged to have happened here? At least, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it isn't even close to what happened with Nate Miles uh, under Jim Calhoun's oh, yeah. watch. And yet UConn stood by Jim to the day that he walked away. Uh, why? Because Jim was winning at a high level consistently. Kevin ran the program into the ground. That's why one guy got fired and the other guy didn't. Anybody suggesting otherwise I think is being a little foolish. Yeah, oh, and I would think that uh, nobody should be suggesting otherwise whatsoever. Um, we're going to get to the Big East and UConn, and we'll look ahead. But, yeah, let's look back real quick here on a few things. Um, the reasons that you mentioned were, number one, why Kevin Ollie got fired, but also um, – you know, uh, speaking with multiple sources over the past year plus here, uh, Ali got lazy. Uh, he was distrustful of a lot of people within the the greater Yukon athletic department, did not uh, align himself with, you know, significant uh, people within the athletic department. Like he was not boys. He wasn't enemies with Gino Aramia. And I know that Jim Calhoun and Gino had their own things, but uh, did not use that alliance to uh, the extent of which had he done had he done that, Gino Oriema is the most powerful person in the state that I reside here in Connecticut. And if he had been um, more aligned and things had really hit badly the way they did, I mean, it, it's possible Ali might have been able to get one more year. But um, things really dissolved and degraded in a really bad way. I mean, if you want to point to an example. I guess this isn't the worst case because that 2014 UConn team, which, by the way, is not subject to any sort of game vacation here. We're looking at 2016-17 uh, and 2017-18 because the violations that happened with the three UConn players getting uh, training and lodging and free travel from a, from a, from a booster, that happened in spring and summer of 2016, so the 2014 title is safe. Th that is 
I know UConn's a proud program and four titles in 20 years, all that good stuff. That 2014 UConn team might be the worst title team of my lifetime. It, it was aberrational. It should have lost in the first round to St. Joseph's. Credit to Shabazz Napier and Ryan Boatwright and Niels Gaffai and the whole crew. You know what? It was uh, it was something I won't forget, but... Um, what a weird deal the Ali experience was, though. You know, he got the job because Calhoun wanted him to have the job. Calhoun leaves because he gets in that weird bike accident. Just And then he goes and wins with Calhoun's players mostly, gets the national title, and then it just completely goes off the tracks after that. And now in the in the here and now, you just wonder if, if that um, relationship is going to be forever severed. And it's not just Ali. I mean, uh, Ray Allen, uh, Ricky Moore, who was on that staff, a part of that – you know, just renowned 1999 championship team that beat Duke that was honored this past season. I was at that game. Ricky Moore was not there because he was on Ollie's staff. There are there are people that played at UConn uh, who still uh, side with Ollie more than they do the university. You just wonder if those fissures will be forever there, uh, which is a really, it, you know, it is a sad way to end it. I mean, it didn't have to go this way, and a lot of it is on Ollie's shoulders. There's no doubt about that. UConn's in a better place now. It hired the right coach. Things seem to be going the right way with Hurley, although I do want to touch on UConn and its standing in the American as we switch to the Big East conversation just a second here, Parrish. But uh, uh, what we had come today, most of it was was placed squarely on the shoulders of Ali. He and his lawyer would obviously dispute plenty of that. Um, but the fact is, uh, had he been more forthcoming, more truthful, agreed to a second interview, he's not getting a show cause. He might have a better chance to get his money. It just doesn't seem like it's going to be that way. And I think this was the latest example that of the NCAA doing two things here. One, if you lie, mislead, or obfuscate with us, you're going to get hit hard. Now, it doesn't mean as much for Ollie because he's not looking to co- coach in the college game the way others might, but this is this is Bruce Pearl and plenty of other coaches have done this. You're, this is how they will get you, more than the actual acts. And then number two, uh, and this was touched on briefly on the conference call with the NCAA on Tuesday, you know, I'll, I'll, putting all of this in effect on Ollie's shoulders, lack of compliance, lack of oversight, it's just I think it's a little bit of foreshadowing to what we might have with the FBI-related cases going forward. Um, while they are not the same at all, I do think the, the overarching theme of uh, you were the head coach, you were in charge here, um, we're going to play put plenty of blame on your shoulders. I think that still could be coming uh, soon enough with those schools and, and coaches who are related to those separate cases. Yeah, as you point out, this is the, probably the closest thing we've seen to the Bruce Pearl situation since the Bruce Pearl situation. It's not the X that gets you, it's the... I don't want to say cover up and go into a Nixon uh, cliche, but it's it's the misleading and the lying that gets you. And it's why I've always said, and we talked about this on a previous podcast recently, if you if telling the truth will kill you, that's when you should lie. Like if you're accused of paying a player and you did pay a player and the NCAA is asking you about paying that player, you might as well lie because if you tell the truth, they're gonna get it's over. So when when the truth will kill you lie but when the truth won't when the truth stops short of destroying you and possibly costing you 10 million dollars just tell the truth yes i had a recruit on a video call with ray allen uh yes i uh we were having uh pickup games that um were in excess of of what's allowed like this that's little minor stuff just like yes aaron craft and his family dropped by my house when we were having a cookout in the backyard. Not that big of a deal. But when you lie about it, it becomes a big deal. Bruce learned that lesson. And again, I know Kevin's not trying to get back into coaching, 
at the collegiate level, so the show cause doesn't really matter. But if that show cause is is the thing that can help UConn win, um, if the if the show cause is the thing that helps UConn avoid paying him ten million dollars, then misleading the NCAA was a bad bad mistake. Yeah, it was. It was. Um... <laughs> but UConn fans, by the way, uh, you've got two sub-500 seasons here, 16 and 17, 14 and 18, the two years, uh, the final two years of Kevin Ollie's career. Now, obviously, no NCAA tournaments there. Um, so <laughs> this is like the NC State fan who's all too happy. Even though Dennis Smith Jr. was uh, was a really fun player, that, that season is getting wiped off the books eventually. <laughs> Through the FBI case, we know this. And the NC State fans are like, okay, well, we, we, we stunk anyway, so what do we care? So um, there was a question asked on the media call, by the way, about that, like, you know, what's I'm majorly paraphrasing the reporter's question here, but it was essentially like, you know, what's really the point of this in a in a in a bad year, non-tournament year? And the answer, as expected, was, well, these are protocols, and just because the, the team st- sucked, it's we're not going right. to not do this. I get that, but uh, it leads to some funny and expected commentary, and again, is is yet another example of why vacating some of this stuff can be so silly and worthless. But so it goes, and. Uh, some some American Athletic Conference victories will be wiped off the books uh, on behalf of the league and UConn uh, should the school not opt to fight it. And I don't expect the school to fight those penalties. No, Jesus. They'd be crazy to fight them. They like, they're, they're celebrating them uh, privately. But it's funny when you read the uh, quotes, the statements from UConn officials, they're like, this is no reason to celebrate. <laughs> if you have to tell your fans this is no reason to celebrate, that, that implies that they're celebrating. And uh, I think rightfully so. I mean, again, uh, none of this is good. You'd rather avoid it all. But uh, big picture, this is a big win for UConn. The, 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 the penalties are not going to – at least they shouldn't impact the program in a meaningful way going forward. And the penalties, the main thing they will do or could do, probably will do, is prevent you from having to pay the remaining balance of Kevin Ollie's contract. Like you said, there could be a settlement. There often are settlements in situations like this just because it can be cheaper to settle than it is to litigate uh, for years and years and years. So there might be a settlement, but it seems more likely than not at this moment because of what happened today that UConn's not going to have to pay Kevin Ollie $10 million. One last point. Uh, on that championship team, Ali's championship team, before we move on. Uh, you, you said you, you think it's the worst championship team of your lifetime and could be the worst of your lifetime. That, that We'll see. I, I imagine that, that it certainly could be true. I, I, I'll say this definitively. It'll be the first and only time a third-place team from the American Athletic Conference wins a national championship because <laughs> that's what it was. Tied for third in the AAC with SMU and Memphis three games behind Louisville and Cincinnati. Third place from the AAC, national champions. Incredible. Although, you know, maybe your Memphis Tigers might struggle a little bit to wind up getting that and still have the talent to do it. So don't be so certain. (laughs) What if it happens this year? That'll be a a great go-back-to-the-podcast moment. Memphis struggles in the AAC and then gets hot with the lottery picks and and wins the championship. I wouldn't predict it, but it wouldn't be the – wouldn't be any crazier than what UConn did. Would not at all. All right, you want to talk Big East? I do. Um, UConn is headed back to the Big East, uh, leaving the American Athletic Conference. So we're going to get into that in just a minute. But first, some promos and, and words from our sponsors. 
Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So, Norlanda, UConn is headed back to the Big East. You live there. From a distance, it seems like a universally popular decision up your way. But you tell me, is it exactly that? Oh, I mean, from Norwich to Norwalk, Groton to Shelton, Torrington to Trumbull, Naugatuck to Newington, Weathersfield mm. to New Milford, and all about. Yes, this is uh, this has been there. The confetti is strolling, and the streamers are rolling. There's no doubt about it. This was this was interesting. Uh, the fact that it came out like this because it was an accelerated timeline. If you would like, if we had just if we had taken a reader question for our podcast two weeks ago, right? And they said, "Hey, listen." Do you think UConn will ever leave the American Athletic Conference and get back into the Big East? And if you think that, when do you think that might happen? My answer would have been yes. But if I'm being completely honest, I would have said yes, and I think UConn will be back in the Big East in 2023. I thought it was going to happen later rather than sooner. I know UConn wanted to be back in. The Big East was not actively seeking another member from what I understood, But as we now know through Val Ackerman, Big East Commissioner's own words, and she has done an incredible job. She has a case as one of the best, if not the best, uh, commissioner uh, uh, from a basketball point of view of things over the past half decade. The the Big East has done exceedingly well, and adding UConn, I think, only increases its chances of remaining relevant and if not uh, a predominant league. Um, But we found out that UConn, after the season was over, uh, actively sought out the Big East and wanted to see if getting into the league was feasible for the start of the 2020-2021 season. The Big East then, from what I was told, what I understand, really accelerated these things on a, on a presidential level about two to three weeks before the news leaked. And so here we are. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we can touch on with this. Um, I, I mean, I wrote a column out at CBSports.com. Uh, this coincidentally happened, pull behind the curtain a little bit. This, this happened on a day where I was uh, actually going to go uh, watch the Travelers Championship up here in Connecticut. And so you had all the media there to cover the golf. And instead, they're all writing about UConn. Parrish was getting ready to go on vacation. But nonetheless, we teamed up. We were able to, uh, to confirm and break some news and get some details on that. Um, but let me just vol- volley it back to you, GP. Um, 
from either the American or the Big East side, however you want to take this, you know, feel free to take the floor as yours. I'm gonna, uh, it's a rare occasion. How about you just talk for the next seven to ten minutes on the podcast? But I do want your thoughts since you haven't written a column, we haven't podcasted on if you think it's damaging for the American, if you think UConn's addition to the Big East uh, does for that league what I think it will do, and that's t- to me it, it will probably uh, legitimize it as a year-over-year top three league in college basketball on the men's side, and anything for UConn. So by all means. Fire away. Well, I I hesitate to say this makes it a top three league, given that you know the ACC exists, the Big Twelve exists, and the SEC is like getting bigger and better by the year. I'm not sure the Big East can consistently crack a, a top three, and I didn't even mention uh, the the Big Ten or or the Pac-12. I think it clearly tips it, and it has been um, better than the American, but it clearly create separation now because you added a top shelf program and took one away from the AAC. And that's why it's obviously damaging to the American. I saw a few comments on social media, um, people, you know, whether it's Memphis fans, Cincinnati fans, uh, maybe Houston fans saying, Hey, so what were you losing UConn? They've sucked lately anyway. Well, that, that's very short sighted and silly because UConn is the most accomplished basketball program in the American athletic conference. I mean, they've won, I, what is it? Three national championships in my adult life. Four, my man. Four. Okay, right. Okay, so yeah. what are the years on that UConn resident? Ninety-nine, oh four, mm-hmm. eleven, and fourteen. Who did UConn beat into that trivia time? Oh God, I'm bad. I'm terrible. Just at this. can you name the team UConn defeated in the 2004 national championship game? Because it's one of the, we talk about how that 2014 UConn team was bad. The tw- 2004 national title runner-up. They weren't awful, don't get me wrong, but it is one of the more random uh, runners-up, I think, of the past 30 years. It's Paul Hewitt's team, right? That's correct. Luke Schencher. That's uh, what I remember, the redhead dude. <laughs> that is that is actually what pops into my head, redhead. Jarrett again. Jack, yeah, the the Yellow Jackets, man. They got it all the way there. So, yeah, that's, that's the one. UConn fans don't forget it, but I think – Drive by casual college basketball fans. Remember, 99, UConn beats Duke. The huge, you know, first time they did it, Duke should have won. That was the best team in college basketball. And then in more recent history, obviously, the hideous 2011 team that had Kemba, though, that was so good. Big East tournament, all that stuff. And then 14, just because it's so recent. But, the uh, yeah, the 4 team, man, that was, a, that was a big one. Anyway, continue. So, four national titles in my adult life. Like and and I'm not 75 years old, even though the, the top of my head looks like it. Uh, that that's an incredible basketball program. Now I think you can reasonably argue that maybe its best days are behind it, but either way, it is the most accomplished, most nationally relevant, biggest brand basketball brand in the AAC. So losing it is um, awful, um, regardless of of how awful the program might have been in recent years because as you pointed out earlier they've hired the right coach now they got the right guy in place and when you hire when you've got a program like UConn and you've got the right coach in place it is um highly unlikely that you're not going to be nationally relevant again I'm a big believer in Dan Hurley I'm a big believer in the UConn brand you combine those two things UConn um, could have maybe very quickly uh, established itself as the best program in the AAC but either way it is Again, of the past 20 years, the the most accomplished basketball program in the AAC. Any um, AAC fan trying to act like losing them is not a big deal is is insane. It's it's a it's a big deal. Um, I will say from UConn's perspective, it's not like they're going back to the Big East that their fans grew up, uh, you know, uh, watching and enjoying. This is a different deal. Like they're not joining the 
league with Syracuse. Um, it's 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 a good league, and I think a better league. Although you and I have talked about this before, if with Penny doing what he's doing at Memphis, Kelvin staying at Houston, if UConn would have got on track under Dan, there would have been a conversation, I think, going forward. What is the better basketball league, the Big East or the AAC? But I, I think that conversation is now, if not moot, less of a conversation because you just took a big brand from the AAC and put it in the Big East. So um, I, I understand it. You know, I worked with Swin Cash at CBS Sports Network, who's now a front office executive with the New Orleans Pelicans. But before that, for being a WNBA star, she was a, a member of UConn's women's basketball program. And I know from talking to her that the people around that program, like they, they never connected with the American. Um, they, they, they saw it as a downgrade. And even if the Big East isn't the same league it used to be, it's still the Big East. That's a big brand. Like, I remember talking to somebody. Maybe it was an AAC coach once upon a time. It could have been an administrator. But they said the biggest difference between us and the Big East is that they're called the Big East. Like, they have that brand, the Big East. It sounds – it's something everybody knows where we're the American. But the biggest difference between us and them is they got a big that big established brand, and we don't. And so this is an opportunity for, yes, both men's and women's basketball to reconnect with an established brand that its fans, um, you know, cherish and, and, and can't wait to get back to. But they're not rejoining the same league. Um, I understand it. And given that the fan base seems to be enthusiastic about it, it seems like the right thing to do. But you are effectively giving up on Division One football. But I guess the counter argument to that is, so what? It doesn't matter um, in the state anyway. And it's not like UConn football was ever going to be the key to getting into a Power Five league. Like I saw that a little bit. You know, you know, UConn's never going to get in a Power Five league without, you know, without. This kind with you know they're giving up on football and giving up on the and and by extension giving up on the chance to be in a power five league. Well, if you thought UConn football was going to be the key to getting UConn in a power five league, like that seems a little silly to me. So what are you really sacrificing? And you're getting your men's your two biggest programs back connected to an established brand. Everybody seems happy. I I totally get it. All right, I think you're downplaying the Big East a little bit here. I mean. Villanova, yes, has carried a lot of weight and has done much of it, but they're still in the league, and, and they get credit as does the league. Um, the league has had 5.3 bids on average since it went to 10 teams. It ranked second. All right, here are its Kempom rankings just from a conference standpoint since it went to 10 teams. Fifth, second, third, 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 and then fifth this past season. So when you say you have doubts about the league maintaining its top three status – well, without UConn, four of the past six seasons, it's been top three. And one of those seasons, it was top two. It obviously produced uh, a two-time national champion in Villanova. Xavier got a one seed as well. So it has been fairly solid. If UConn is even not going to reach the heights it did under Calhoun, I think that's totally acceptable. Let's say it gets just reasonably relevant, Parrish, and has a Sweet 16-capable team even once every three years, which is not uh, a bar that UConn fans would accept. But even that, UConn going to that Big East, to me, if the rest of the conference maintains its status there, and I think that it will because I don't think – like Ed Cooley stays at Providence. Jay Wright's not going anywhere. When you've got um, 
so many coaches in the conference that are of significance that are going to stick around. Um, I don't know. I, I, I see this being a top three league in basketball, but you are not as convinced given what the SEC could become, what the Big Ten might be able to be. Is that is that your general point there? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, listen, uh, you, you make solid points there. I can't argue with the numbers. I'm not going to be a guy who constantly comes on the podcast and, and quotes Kimpom numbers and then be dismissive of them as you present them to, to counter-argue a point that I, I made. So, like, I'm respectful of that. I guess I'd say this. We can both agree they can't match the ACC program for program, right? I would agree with that, yes. So then let's just go to the Big 12. And let's play a little game here real quick. Let's go program for program. Okay. Pick your top Big East program. To me, UConn, as it was in the American, is now in the Big East. I wrote it in my column. UConn is the most decorated, celebrated program in the Big East the second that it becomes an official member. I'm going to take Kansas. Kansas wins. Okay. Now this got kind of gets tricky for me. Let's do it. go ahead. On Villanova. Easily Villanova, a, a 1B to UConn's 1A. I, I guess I'd have to go Texas. And it's got to be Nova. I think it's got to be Nova. All like right, Texas so 1-1. to one, is, we're, we're, I, I'm, I'm be all these things, but Villanova's been the better program. That's yep. undeniable. Okay. Uh, Number three. Are we okay? So hold on. Let's let's define. This is fun. Uh, I love impromptu games here. So we are taking the entire big picture of a program, and not what the program has been the past three to six years, right? Yeah, like listen, um, West Virginia was down last year. I still think West Virginia is a good college basketball program. So, um, yeah, I'm not trying to compare what Kansas was to UConn last year. Just in theory, like the program, like what's the better program? Okay, so I think, I think number three in the Big East. I think it has to be Georgetown. Certainly, historically. Yeah, I would. I would take Georgetown third historically. And if we're kind of throwing it all in there, yeah, I'd go I'd go Georgetown three. So what's the Big 12 got at third? I mean, I don't know. Is it Oklahoma? Is it Oklahoma State? Is, right now, it'd certainly be Texas Tech up there. I mean, right. you, you can probably rely on Texas Tech being a consistent. Right, but you cannot – like, Texas Tech can't even be above, like, sixth. Yeah. yeah. All right, I, I'm – you ready for this? Okay. I think I'm ready to concede. Program for program, the Big East probably has better programs than, than the Big 12. Cause, yeah, because then you get into Seton Hall, made a national title game. Xavier has been to more NCAA tournaments th- over the past 25 years than maybe four or five schools, period. Marquette has a national championship to its name. Uh, you know, Even Butler, title games, when it wasn't in the Big East, I get that. But St. John's, um, so yeah, historically, and, and that's a lot of what's going on here. It's the geography of the UConn fam where they, even though Q's isn't in anymore, I get all that, but you've got Providence, which UConn loves to hate. You've got St. John's, which is still local. There's still a, a Northeast vibe about it, and that's why it's a natural fit. Anyway, the, in terms of but in terms of performance, Big 12, indisputably, even if you had UConn being a top-two team in the American when it wasn't, when it sucked, um, the Big 12 still. I mean, these are the bids over those the past six seasons. 7 7 7 6, eight, six for the Big 12. It has operated as the best conference in college basketball over the past half-dozen years, in my opinion, on the whole, if you take into account uh, season-long performance to getting into the tournament in relation to the rest of its league. The Big 12 has been terrific. Um, I, I think you, you might have problems matching programs Big East to SEC, given the way those pro, those schools are investing. Like can, you've got now Kentucky operating at a high level, Florida operating at a high level, um, uh, Tennessee past two years been operating at a high level, LSU recruits like crazy. <laughs> okay. uh, 
you know, there, there's like a lot of programs. Auburn just got to a Final Four. I get all that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other one I would say is, is the Big Ten. I mean, when you go at the top of the league, you know, Michigan State, Michigan, Maryland, Wisconsin, Indiana. I know some of these teams have been bad recently, but like in terms of big picture program stuff, Ohio State. But, but I, I guess I'd bottom line it this way. I would bet against the Big East being a top three league year in and year out, but it is, I can acknowledge, closer to the truth, if not entirely the truth, than I initially suggested. Yeah, that'll be interesting going forward because the Big East, it also, you know, it's locked up the garden till 2028. It's got a TV deal that is going to try and extend or renegotiate going forward. There's a lot of money coming. I won't even get into the football stuff on the podcast because, I mean, that, like here, I, UConn football, it's weird. It matters to like 10% of the UConn fan base in the state a, a lot. And then everyone else just doesn't give a damn. It's UConn. I, I, I put this forth. UConn has a legitimate claim as the best basketball university in the country because of its because of its dominance in women's basketball sure. and, and the significance it has in this state parish. I mean, there are people that are just as invested and enthusiastic about the women's team as the men's team. That's a really refreshing thing to see. And then when you consider the fact that the men have won more national titles over the past two decades than any program in America, um, any dispute to that? Oh, no. If you're trying to say, like, you know, every once upon a time at CBS Sports, we did the thing where we looked at football coach and men's basketball coach and fi- tried to find, like, the best pairing at any university. So at one time you had Urban Meyer and Billy Donovan. Like, that's two future Hall of Famers. That's pretty terrific. If you were to slightly adjust that those rankings and said top men's basketball program and top women's basketball program pairing, it ain't even close. It's UConn, right? It's It's, it's got to be uh, by far. And so that's why the – I mean, this is reinvigorated the fan base – to put it mildly, it's incredible to me that this actually happened on this timeline. UConn fans never shut up about it. I mean, I knew they'd always be screaming about it, but I just thought it was going to take some more time. I also think the Big East will stay at 11, and this is based actually even in part on an on-the-record on conversation I had with Val Ackerman about seven months ago where she indicated that going to 11, and I think she said this at the presser at MSG last week as well, going to 11 enables you to stay at a 20-game league schedule, have a have a double round robin in the regular season, and then you still get the double bye for the teams in the conference tournament. Um, you can still have the conference tournament on a certain schedule for the structure of the bracket and for television purposes, that makes sense. So my prediction is, and this is, trust me, I know uh, the precedent of conference realignment indicates that I will be wrong about this, but given that the Big East is a basketball-only conference, and the motivations of the league presidents, the schools, the athletic directors, and the coaches therein, I think that we will look up in 2040, potentially even 2050, and the Big East will still be only these 11 schools. I don't think that we're going to get beyond that because college basketball schedules are not going to flex to an even greater amount. We're not going to have universities in the NCAA, obviously, allowing for 46, 48, 50-game schedules. So it's bloated to the amount that it's going to be. And when you look at the... uh, the logistics of non-conference scheduling, how Big East teams already are kind of locked in with the Gavit games and all these other uh, series where you do not have a lot of flexibility. I think 11 is going to wind up being the perfect number, and and UConn makes a, it makes a great fit there. Um, if you allow me, GP, on the other side of it with the American, I will say this. 
I I feel like I might be the most enthusiastic, optimistic voice for that conference on the men's basketball side of any national media member. And UConn has granted it won the national title when it was a member of the league, and that can't be uh, discarded, and I will not discard it. That that is significant. But with the exception of that, the Ali years, obviously, as I said, they just they completely went sideways, and UConn was not a factor. UConn was not a natural fit for the league. But I still think that the conference can have a real shot at maintaining a, a major type status going forward. It will get interesting. I actually think this upcoming year is totally fascinating because you have UConn in one final year uh, the Black Duck season and then you've got or Lame Duck season, excuse me. Um, (laughs) What is a Black Duck? (laughs) I I don't know what I was going with. Uh, They're a black sheep at the conference and it's a Lame Duck. I don't know what I was doing there. I was totally off the rails. Um, But Cincinnati loses Mick. How will they do? Memphis is going to have the most anticipated team in the history of uh, the conference's six, seven years overall. They're fastening unto themselves. Temple starts anew. Can they get on the right track? Will Wichita State revert to what it was and got them into the league to begin with? Or are we going to drift back to a, a, a state with that program, GP, where the Shockers are, okay, they're there, they're good, they help, but they're not really totally elevating the league. I actually think it's a fairly critical season upcoming. Houston lost some important pieces, but they've got a good coaching staff there. They can maintain relevance as well. And then you see if UCF, will they stay on the same trajectory? Point I'm making here is even though the bottom league is like whatever, and you know SMU, Tulsa, East Carolina, Tulane, all that kind of stuff, like there's always going to be a, an anchor type to this conference. If, as long as the American can have a realistic goal of saying we will be a surefire three-bid league year in and year out, that's the win. I don't know if the league will expand. I think if it tries to expand and if it thinks if it's feasible, there's only one candidate, and that candidate is VCU. And I think the A-10 is going to fight like hell not to lose VCU because VCU makes uh, a geographical um, replacement ideal for the American because it would be uh, close to Temple and it would make the most sense. It's the best basketball brand. If you look out there, the only the best candidate would be VCU, but I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case there. But it is a critical year or two upcoming for the American just to, and I know football means a lot to that conference, but this is a hoops podcast. We're going to stick with this purely from the hoops perspective here. Um, it cannot be, it can, this cannot turn into a Memphis-Gonzaga scenario. That is not what the AAC needs. Yeah, it'd be great if Memphis was competing for one seeds and all that, but you need other teams punching evenly on even ground with Memphis going forward, and hopefully Memphis is going to be a top-ten type program. But you need Houston, Cincinnati, Temple, Wichita State, most importantly, at least two of those teams being top 25 level to maintain your relevance nationally because, as you said it, UConn was the most prestigious program in that conference, and by losing them, undeniably, luster is taken away from that league. Yeah, I don't think there's any real chance of of Memphis turning this version of the AAC into Conference USA. Um, the, the the Cincinnati program's too good, too established. Uh, the the Houston program under Kelvin is 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 going to be too good. Um, Central Florida is moving in the right direction. Wichita State has invested too much. Um, SMU has shown an ability in recent years to operate at a high level. Uh, as much as Penny is doing on the recruiting trail, I do think that he can out-recruit most of the league year in and year out, but I don't think they're just going to run things the way that, that Memphis did under Cal in Conference USA after Marquette, Louisville, and all those programs left the um, 
the the initial version. I'd, I'd have a hard time um, envisioning envisioning that. There's just too many other good enough programs. Whereas in the old conference USA, they they just didn't exist. Yeah, I think that's probably right. But this is in a weird way, um, the American is starting to feel conference USA ish a little bit like not and not in a bad way like when conference USA actually had uh, just a potpourri of teams that were relevant getting into the tournament um, I think this is the closest thing we have seen and probably will see going forward uh, GP before we wrap the pod and hit well, to, uh, say one thing about about conference expansion if the AAC wanted to try to replace UConn yes uh, Mike Oresco the commissioner there has made it clear that they will not replace just to replace because no, they just got a new deal done with ESPN that is going to pay, I don't know, each school in excess of, I believe, forgive me if my math I think is it's wrong. GP, I think it's $7 million, but also, uh, continue with your thought here, I do believe that some of this could be subject to... Renegotiation. Re- correct. Because when you lose, I don't see how it isn't, and I don't I don't have the language, obviously, Parrish, but you lose UConn, there's no way that does not change things for ESPN. There's just, it's an impossibility. Go, go ahead. I, I, I will say it will, it will, it should, I would assume it changes things, but basketball just doesn't matter nearly as much as football, uh-huh. you know, when it television contracts. It's, it, basketball is not, like the Big East schools make significantly, I believe, significantly less money from their media rights deal than the AAC schools do. And yes. that's because the AAC, even if it's second-tier football, it's still football. And the Big East doesn't have that. And so it, I, I agree with you. It matters some. I don't think it matters as much from a television perspective as, as most people probably think. Either way, the point I was going to make is this. Michael Resco has made it clear um, they won't just add somebody um, for the sake of adding somebody. Like uh, Without UConn, they will be an 11-team basketball league they could just play a true round robin, 20-game league schedule that works perfectly. And really, the, the way it works is this. You pick up the phone to ESPN. Because right now, whatever the pie is, you're, you would be dividing. Right now, you divide it by 12, mm-hmm. basketball. Now, without UConn, you're going to divide it by 11. Everybody's piece of the pie gets a little bit bigger. Now, what you do if you're the American is you actually pick up the phone to ESPN and you say, if we added VCU, does that increase the – the pie, and does every if we if we add VCU and then divide by twelve, do our schools get more money, each? Oh, okay. What about St. Louis? Okay. What about Dayton? And if you cannot find a program that makes the pieces of pie from a media rights um, agreement bigger, you don't add a program. It is as simple as that. If they cannot make the pieces of pie by adding a team bigger for each individual member than they are without UConn, they will not add a school. They will not add one just to add one. They will only add one if it increases the money each school will get from a media rights deal. And I I say all that to say this, I'm not sure there's a school that exists. I'm not sure there's a basketball program they can add that will increase the pie enough to make the pieces divided by 12 instead of 11 um, make sense. I completely agree with that. I was told uh, by two sources that uh, it is a common lament within the league that schools are not getting enough money, not making enough money, and by losing UConn here, um, it enables them to be uh, likely privy to more money than even they were expected to get with this renegotiated rights deal. 
I don't see the presidents and the athletic directors wanting to sign on to that, uh, barring some uh, crusade from Oresco or someone else that I don't see happening. And the only other way that it happens, maybe, and I don't, again, I can't speak to the football side of this, but you know, BYU is an independent. Uh, it's got uh, a good football program and a good basketball program. But does it even want that logistically? Does it even make sense? I mean, do you really want uh, programs, I, I know, flying, whatever. But, like, it's a deal. Like, the thing with the American is you talk to any coach and they'll say it off the record. They won't go on the record with it. The travel in that league on the basketball side is brutal because everyone's all over the country. Would you really want Tulsa, East Carolina, Temple having to deal with these flights, you know, on a Thursday or from a Thursday or a Sunday going from Philly all the way out to Utah? I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Um that's another deal altogether there. Um, I don't expect the American to add another conference. Um, we'll see going forward. But it, 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 is in a, it is in an interesting spot over the next two seasons because it needs to maintain the level that it was at in order to, frankly, get, get enough, be in the discussion, be in the, in the mainstream discussion uh, because it was, we talked about this, this is, two, three, four years ago, GP, but I believe that the committee didn't give the schools enough credit when it came to seating and selecting for the American. Uh, past two years have been a little bit different, but once once you just become like, you know, another conference that's not really out there and you're not clump, you know, lumped in with the Big East and even the low-end Pac-12 and all that stuff, I actually think it can have unintended and maybe even uh, unconscious, you know, bigger effects on your league on the whole, and that's what the American's going to be fighting going forward. Uh, before we get out of here, um, let's mention the big recruiting development uh, since we last recorded, and that's at Kerry Blackshear Jr., the grad transfer from Virginia Tech committed to his home state school, uh, Florida. He, of course, averaged 14.9 points, 7.5 rebounds while shooting 51% from the field last season at Virginia Tech. So he had good numbers, really good numbers, for a Sweet 16 team. Uh, I think he's an All-American candidate, and it, it caused me to move Florida um, into the top 10 of the CBS Sports top 25 and one. And I know that's a big jump from unranked to top 10 based off one player, but um, I, I'll, I'll rationalize it by saying two things. A, I think I probably had Florida underrated without Kerry Blackshear a little bit, not much, but a little bit. And um, I think Blackshear is awesome. You know, if we're talking about impactful newcomers across the country, so you know, in a normal sense, we're talking about, you know, five-star freshmen. How many five-star freshmen are going to be better than Kerry Blackshear next year? Maybe two, if I'm being optimistic. Maybe none. Maybe none. I know, but maybe two. Like, it's just, yeah, there's not, he's, so, he's already really So really here, good. Here's what I would say is that, you know, Florida was, was okay last year. The, the computers liked them more than like the win-loss record liked them, but they still went to the NCAA tournament. They won a game in the NCAA tournament. And I, I've got Memphis in, I think, seventh in the top 25 and one right now. So I started trying to look at Florida as it compared to Memphis. And obviously Memphis has the better recruiting class. They both return comparable stuff. Like, uh, you know, at Memphis, it's, it's Tyler Harris, Alex Lomax, Isaiah Maurice. At, at Florida, they return three players who averaged at least 24 minutes per game last season, averaged at least eight points per game last season. So not much, but like, you know, a few pieces. And then they add uh, two five stars, Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann, and then Clay, and then Kerry Blackshear. Like, would you rather have James Wiseman, Precious Achua, Boogie Ellis, or 
Scotty Lewis, Trey Mann, Kerry Blackshear. You you might go with the the freshman at Memphis, but like it's at least a conversation. It is, and so I thought that Florida needed to be right near Memphis, and and maybe you could even argue ahead of them. Like that, uh, Mike White's got a nice roster heading into next does. season. They uh, they got five star talent, incredible grad transfer, some interesting returning pieces. Florida should be really good, a real threat, I think, to Kentucky. Andrew Nembard is the under-the-radar second third-team All-America candidate because he could wind up being – it could wind up being one of those situations where Blackshear's the best player and Nembard's the most important because he's a, he's a tall – he's going to go – he is going to be – I think he will be a first-round 2020 NBA pick. I expect him to have a big jump next year. You include him with the fact – like, Scotty Lewis is a really, really good player. I think Scotty Lewis has a solid shot at being top – 10 top five maybe even freshmen in america we'll see how his touches goes but the one thing he doesn't have is a reliable jump shot but florida's they're they're going to be a fun interesting team trey man a lot of fun there yeah black first of all i love how the fact what was your opening line when you started of he of course averaged uh i got 14.1 point no gp no one knows his stats off the top of their head like i do 14.9.7.5 rebounds shot 50.8 percent from the field you got you got it down there um but this is this is significant in terms of an addition i mean you know to, to compare uh you know Player movement in respective sports, college basketball's player movement has 0.003% of the noise of NBA, and rightfully so. But Kerry Blackshear going to Florida will mean more for that program than like Kyrie Irving going to the Brooklyn Nets next year. This is this is this puts Florida into a reasonable discussion for being a national champion. So in that respect, I think this is a easily a top five, potentially top three transfer move of college basketball's offseason. Now the timing of it, you know, it happened on a Friday while everyone was waiting for, you know, NBA free agency. And I understand that like dominates the sports conversation. And I get all that. But from a college basketball perspective, this was a significant addition and uh, and a big one because Florida had a little bit of noise, a little bit of buzz, but I think even a week ago, um, expectations were Virginia Tech or Kentucky or Tennessee. And it wound up being not where he played and not the other two power SECs. It's uh, it's Mike White and his Florida Gators. They should uh, they should make a return to the NCAA tournament. And if and when that happens, that will mark the fourth time in five years. Don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, GP, but I'd be pretty shocked if Florida doesn't get there. Uh, if that happens four times in five years since Mike White became the coach of the Gators, he'll have gotten to the NCAA tournament with a 4-6-10 seed, and then we'll see what they get next year. I said it when he was hired. I maintain it. He was the best possible option of any candidate for Florida to replace Billy Donovan. He is living up to that in the here and the now undeniably. Yeah, he's low-key done a really nice job replacing a Hall of Fame coach, which is obviously not easy to do. And something some people will um, caution you to do with your career. Like, don't try, don't be the guy after the guy. Be the guy after the guy who replaces the guy. Because you'll never be able to lend it, live up to the standard of your predecessor if you try to replace a Hall of Fame coach like Billy Donovan. I know Billy's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but um, every coach who's won multiple national championships is in the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. Billy Donovan will get there uh, someday. And yet Mike still took the job. And like you said, uh, three tournaments in four years. He's been to three straight. He's won games in each of the past three NCAA tournaments. Elite Eight in 2017, round of 32, 2018 round of 32 last year and then this could be uh the best team that he's that he's ever had um a pre i think it's probably a preseason top 10 team when you got three guys returning who average at least 24 minutes per game from a tournament team add two five-star freshmen 
and then I think probably the best graduate transfer available. Um, that's that's good stuff. Florida should be good. Real good stuff. All right. Uh, as we wrap up here, just a heads up to the listeners. Next week, we will be at Peach Jam. So Woo-hoo! we're going to go face-to-face, person-to-person podcast again out there. I will not lose the microphones. I promise you we will get that done. Uh, so we'll squeeze in whatever window, but uh, just a heads up on that. So that'll I would think that will either be the Thursday or Friday of next week when we're there. We'll see what stories emanate, what's worth talking about there. But I'll bring the equipment down. We'll have fun with that. And so I just wanted to, uh, to tap you for that and, and remind you, because I'm sure you're aware of it, but PCM is right around the corner here, and that's always a fun event. But uh, even I was a little surprised when I looked up this morning that it was one July 2nd already. And then, yeah, Peach Jam is, in fact, starting and, uh, and will ending next week. Yeah, we'll be flying there. I'll be flying there next Wednesday. Are you flying next Wednesday? I am indeed. Flying next Wednesday. Are you ex- – like, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I don't know that I'm a quote-unquote quote quote, – does it seem like a less – I don't know. What is the big – it seems like this is a le- – like Peach Jam, it doesn't feel like, ooh, I can't wait for Peach Jam. It doesn't really – I don't know. Am I weird? <laughs> like, like I can remember going, yeah, hey, Marvin Bagley's going to be there or, or DeAndre Ayton's going to be there, and it just doesn't feel – yeah. I don't know. I, I think there might be something to that a little bit, but well, let's let's get on the ground there, see, wait and see what happens. There's usually always something that, that pops there or in advance, but I, I, I feel a little bit of what you're saying. It also is the first summer of these new NCAA rules – so we'll see what coaches want to bitch about there because that's also, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it should be noted that this time last year, there was no guarantee Peach Jam was going to be a um, evalu- in, as part of a, an evaluation period. And right. so, because I remember writing the column from there, the, the, the thought among coaches was that we were leaning toward no longer having Peach Jam as uh, an event at which they could evaluate prospects, which I thought would have been a huge mistake. So I, I don't agree with much of or hardly anything with what the NCAA did as far as it relates to the recruiting calendar. But allowing Peach Jam to remain as is uh, was a good thing. And uh, so I, I, I'm now talking myself into it. I'm looking forward to going there next week. <laughs> I'm glad we could wrap up on this. All right, let's go watch the U.S. women uh, go kick the crap out of England. All right. Megan Rapino is not playing Norlander. Well, she's not starting. She will probably. I think she will probably play. Although, when everyone's listening to this podcast, they'll probably will have an outcome. But she is not starting. I expect uh, Goat Megan Rapino to make her way onto the field because she is. She has become uh, the star of this American summer. As you point out, everybody listening will know every. Will know more about what we're talking about <laughs> than we know right now when they hear this. But reports, because I've just been sort of like glancing at Twitter while we're talking, um, she didn't even warm up. And so oh, specu- really? Okay, so I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. Right. The, spec- the speculation is that she is hurt. It's weird because the United States women's national team didn't disclose any sort of injury, and they have done that with other players in this World Cup. But she did not warm up at all pre-match. And, again, I don't take my word for it, but, like, Julie Foudy said, if she's not warming up, it suggests injury. And it, if she's not warming up, it suggests she's not going to play. So, interesting storyline that I'm sure our president is possibly happy about. Uh, but, yes, either way, let's go watch the United States versus England. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Shouts to Lar- Larnell. Shouts to, shouts to Julie Foudy and shouts to Megan Rapino and shouts to Sue Bird. That's Megan Rapino's partner. Remember, subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. It's all I've ever asked from you. Do that, and we will talk to you again from North Augusta, South Carolina. Till then, take care.